You're listening to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. Danny and Jason had many discussions and debates on the back porch while making pivotal investment moves with assets. That's right, with trading cards. They welcome you to the back porch and right into those discussions about current sports news with a fresh and unique twist. So come on and join us. Welcome to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason. This is your co-host, Danny. And listen, fans, we have a packed show for you today. Going to give you our Week 12 NFL reaction, a little bit of the NBA, a reaction to a couple of news pieces here, and our reaction to the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones fight. We're going to talk a little golf. Uh, We're going to talk a little college football And we have an interesting trade scenario for you. Stay tuned for it, fans. But first to the NFL Week 12 reactions. The Green Bay Packers went ahead and played the Chicago Bears. Uh, Listen, I would say this was primarily a scrimmage game. There was really nothing to it. It was fun watching. It was fun texting some of my Chicago Bear fans. And it was it was really cool to, uh, you, you know, go ahead and give some memes to him. Aaron Rodgers threw for only 211 yards, but for, for four touchdown passes. And Mitchell Trubisky went ahead and started. I'll just say this. He had 242 yards, three touchdowns, but two picks. And I'll say this about his picks. And I, I, I like the comment that, one of our favorite Green Bay Packer players said after a Chicago Bears game, and that was none other than future Hall of Famer Charles Woodson. And at the time, he was talking about Jay Cutler, and he said, we know Jay. Jay is going to throw us the ball. <laughs> and I would say this, we know Mitch. Mitch is going to throw us the ball. He did with these two picks, and so – I would say this was none other than a scrimmage game. But I will say this, and some sneaky moves by the Green Bay Packers is not really being talked about at this particular moment in time. And I'll just say that the Green Bay Packers went ahead and actually got Tavon Austin. They picked him up from just the wire here. And really interesting move. Not only did they get Tavon Austin, but they got a, a, a lineman, a defensive lineman, Anthony Rush. And so I thought these were some very sneaky moves by the Green Bay Packers. And let me just say this about Tavon Austin. Just to do, I did a little research on Tavon Austin. Drafted in 2013. Surprisingly enough, his 40 speed was very fast. And is very quick, man. And I was to say, I was very happy to see this move by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I want to say Tavon Austin's 40 speed was like four, three, four. That's floating. That's flying. And I'm very, very interested to see how this really pans out. Tavon Austin's coming off of a knee injury. He was, he's been rehabbing uh, primarily the whole year. Now the Green Bay Packers have actually picked him up. And we'll see what happens. This is an, another weapon here that the Green Bay Packers have on the offensive side of the football. Tavon Austin, he, he has that twitch to him. He is not a very tall. Let me ask you this, Danny. When was Desmond Howard drafted? 93. 
Desmond Howard was drafted in 92. Yeah, I was close. He was close. <laughs> Desmond Howard was drafted in 1992. Tavon Austin will be the highest drafted receiver to wear a Packers uniform since Desmond Howard. Man, nice. Let stat. that sink in for a moment. <laughs> so in 92, Desmond Howard was was drafted and he was drafted by the Washington team and he was drafted number four overall. This is the same Desmond Howard coming off of a Heisman Trophy win. Tavon Austin drafted in 2013 and he was drafted at the number eight slot. Uh, by the then St. Louis Rams. We now have Tavon Austin. I don't know. I don't know how to what capacity they'll use him. I'm thinking possibly for a punt returner, kick returner. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see how they really kind of work this together. The other interesting move was that defensive lineman, uh, Anthony Rush, who seems to be like 6'5", about 300 and some odd pounds. So I would imagine he's going to be in there to kind of ho- help plug the whole for the run defense. Interesting moves by the Green Bay Packers. I will say this. To me, this is an acknowledgement of them being wrong. Let me go ahead and say it. Green Bay Packers was wrong, man. They should have been drafted a receiver. Are we going to have Tavon Austin later on? He can move on to another team. Why not just go ahead and draft, quote-unquote draft, a Tavon Austin, and you can have that person for three, four years under contract. I mean, we got a speedy guy, and you know me, Danny, throughout I've been clamoring for a wide receiver, a fast wide receiver, really spread uh, the defenses, and this may be it right here. So we'll see what happens. I think this is for the playoff push. Interesting, sneaky moves. So that's my take on the NFL so far. What about you, Danny? So, Jason, win number four under the belt for my Atlanta Falcons. Took down the Las Vegas Raiders 43 to 6. Let that sink in, Jason. 43 to 6. A team that's fighting for the playoffs and the defense came to play. Five turnovers committed, four fumbles and one pick, five sacks. Raheem Morris is dialing up the blitz. You can just see a difference in the team, man. And this goes back to every time we talk about each week reaction, our record is four and seven but it should be seven and four, which is a shame right now because we could be sitting there in the playoff hunt, but we're not. But we're two games out from that seven spot. And if the NFL goes to week 18, there'll be eight spots available. So there's still a glimmer of hope, but realistically we're playing for next year. So it's, if something they get on a roll here, it's going to be tough, man. They have Tampa twice, New Orleans this weekend, Kansas City. I think the only... Uh, reasonable matchup is the LA Chargers. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> the two teams that can't close. But it was good to see, man. It was good to see the defense show up. The offense didn't play that well, even though they put up 43. They did not play well that game. But the defense came to play. They put a lot of pressure on Carr. And like I said, the Raiders had a lot to play for in that game. We played smash small football and, and beat them down. So very curious to see how round two against Taysom Hill this weekend goes and what adjustments that Raheem and the defensive coordinator make and how they play them. And I'm curious how the Saints play, too, because Kamara hasn't been used in the receiving game. He has one reception for negative two yards in the two games Taysom Taysom Hill's been playing uh, since Drew Brees got hurt. So I'm curious if they try to feed the ball to Kamara. 
punish us that way. So it should be a very interesting game. Obviously, divisional games are always on point. So I'm hoping my Falcons can get the five and seven and keep pushing on, man. So very interesting uh, weekend for sure. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Tyreek Hill on that first quarter last weekend, 203 yards in the first quarter. Let that sink in (laughs) in the first quarter. So just wanted to give him a shout out for this week and that performance for sure. And I would say this too about the NFL. One of the things that we noticed uh, this particular weekend was the fact of the Denver Broncos and their quarterback room basically being infiltrated by the COVID. And so that forced the Broncos to actually start different quarterback, um, someone who uh, was on the practice squad and and hadn't played quarterback since college. So he was on the practice squad as a receiver. Is this interesting, man? Because when we think about Baltimore Pittsburgh game and where they actually, their game actually got uh, postponed, not once, but twice. And where they played on Wednesday night or excuse me, Wednesday afternoon and where the game was supposed to be played on Thanksgiving evening. That was the evening game. And so real interesting, man, and kind of the dynamics of how the NFL is really handling the COVID situation. Uh, I think the big difference here was that the Denver Broncos had enough players to actually play a game. It was primarily uh, just the quarterbacks of the uh, Denver Broncos. Coming off the practice squad was Kendall Hinton. Uh, I want to make sure I give him his proper due because he was the lone emergency quarterback for the Denver Broncos. The Baltimore Ravens did not. It and spread so, throughout the team. The spread throughout the team. The game had to be postponed. Just real interesting, man, because, you know, some of these players really look at primetime games as, in a sense, their own money games. It's the, the lights are shining the brightest. Yep. Uh, and even more importantly, man, it was Thanksgiving. That was the game because you had – of course, your Washington team, football team against Dallas. It just wasn't interesting at all, not unless you were a fan of either one of those teams. It's just to be able to actually play Thanksgiving evening, that really speaks volumes. And you want to go ahead and shine. The Pittsburgh Steelers were undefeated. It's a divisional rival. So it would have been awesome to kind of see at least some form of football. An interesting take here uh, in terms of how the NFL is really handling the COVID situation. And this goes also to Jason, as they're getting closer to the playoffs, do they go to a bubble scenario for the teams to protect the teams so they don't have these type of outbreaks during the playoffs? I'm very curious this week, Roger Goodell mentioned they're not necessarily looking at that at this time. So they're continuing. He, he feels comfortable with the protocols they have in place. But it's something that has to be in the back of everyone's mind from a football standpoint. If one of these outbreaks happens again, where it spreads throughout multiple positions on a team and cripples a team, how do, how do they pivot? How do they adapt? So I'm very curious mm-hmm. if they'll change their mind if a key team gets infiltrated by the virus and how they play it. More to come, I guess, as we go. It's more day-to-day with all this. We'll see how they position themselves for the playoffs because that's where they want to be successful. And now on to the NBA. Some big news on today. One piece of news was that 
LeBron James re-signed with the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, signed an extension along with Anthony Davis. He signed for a max deal or is in the, or it's in the works here. I believe Anthony Davis, we're looking at five years for 190. LeBron signed an extension two years for about 85 million. The other piece of news for today was that of the NBA trade. And that is with, or excuse me, between the Washington Wizards and Houston Rockets where Washington sends John Wall and a first round pick to the Houston Rockets for Russell Westbrook. And my immediate thought was, okay, this is going to open the door for James Harden to be moved, uh, possibly. Maybe right now Houston is in the mindset of, let's just go ahead and um, now go ahead and move Harden, get the most assets we can, and then kind of go from there. Don't know if that's going to immediately happen. It may happen in the middle of the season. We'll see. But I would just say watch out for the net to look at getting Harden or maybe even the 76ers. The other thought that came to mind, though, Danny, was we got to start looking at Washington a little bit more. I think Washington can actually make the playoffs here, and they could potentially be even the Bucks' first-round matchup. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, we really have to start watching the Washington Wizards because they have a nice backcourt with, obviously, with Bradley Beal and now with Russell Westbrook. Very interesting move, but the Washington Wizards has stuck to their plan of keeping Bradley Beal, not trading him, getting some more pieces on the team so that way they can still make some form of a run. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, Dane, what, what are your thoughts about that? When I first saw the trade come through, I was wondering what was Houston doing? <laughs> Seeing John Wall play. In two years. And I know you get the pick. And I think it's 2023, I believe, is the year for the first round pick. With Westbrook, they just wanted to move him, but at what cost, right? So I was thinking about it in two two things. One, from the Wizards' perspective, you get Westbrook. Now you don't have a ball-dominant dom guard like John Wall where Westbrook is looking to pass, and he can set up Bradley Beal to uh, even be a more prolific scorer. And then you have Bertrands, who they re-signed, who's a deadly shooter. So it kind of opens the court up for the Wizards in a way. So I think it's a great move for the Wizards, considering the contracts involved. Like I said, it's not a lot, not a lot of cap relief, obviously. But And then you move on from John Wall. Uh, it's just mm -hmm. been – he's been unhappy – from uh, afar it looks from afar then he's been injured so you get away from that and you get a high energy guy in Westbrook who knows how to win and they can bring that mentality to that team from the Houston perspective I'm very curious if Harden does stay how it works between him and John Wall because they're very similar players if you think about it they both need the ball in their hands and we haven't seen John Wall so I'm very curious how this is how is it all gonna play out and like I said, they're straddled with that contract. Very interesting trade, very intriguing trade for sure from basketball fan standpoint. And very curious how, like you mentioned, the Wizards and how they, where they fall in the East. Because with that playing tournament from the seven through 10, where do they fall? That's where I'm thinking that range they'll be in. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, and yeah, it's going to be interesting because, again, the season is only going to be 72 games. So it's going to be very competitive. Just 
just an interesting thought here as I was looking at the rosters and all. Let me ask you this, Danny. Yep. So there's been obviously discussions about the combination of Bradley Bill and John Wall, how they may or may not have gotten along, mm -hmm. et cetera. In looking at the contracts, John Wall was, was going to make $41.2 million this year. Russell was actually going to make $41.3 million this year. So okay. the contract's actually kind of close. Come okay. think about it. But here's here's my question. Here's my question. Do you think Bradley Bill or do you think that the alleged friction between Bradley Bill and John Wall was due to the pay? And do you think that Bradley Bill may actually respect Russell Westbrook a little bit more in terms of him getting that money because he's an MVP and he's had what three straight triple double seasons? I definitely think so. Back before Wall got hurt, you can see on the court, there was no continuity, no flow to their game. It was like one was trying to go for his, one was trying to go for his. It wasn't John Wall wasn't facilitating the offense. So now you get a facilitator. And like I said, too, the other thing that's very key here is, knock on wood, Westbrook doesn't miss games. He comes in, sure. he plays hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that franchise needs is someone who walks through those doors and command respect. But is a great teammate. He's not coming out outwardly going at guys. He's from what has been reported. You can see on the court, he's going all out. And John Wall is not that type of player. Not to say he's lazy or anything. I'm just saying he's not that type of player. Westbrook is unique that way. Every game he's giving it his all, and he's looking for everyone else to bring it so they can win. He wants to win. That's where I think the move makes sense from the Wizards' standpoint. Just get John Wall out the way. Because yep. everyone has been dogging them from re-signing him anyway for that contract. Just get that out the way and start fresh. Mm -hmm. And then possibly re-sign Beal for a long, longer term. We'll see. Uh, and now the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones fight. This was just very intriguing, very interesting, and very entertaining. And let me just say that it was one good to see some boxing greats in the actual ring to uh, go at it uh, in this particular charity uh, event, exhibition fight. And let me just say this, Danny. I, I saw this fight. We did a show on this before. Remember seeing the highlights of Tyson training? And I immediately said, Roy, please don't fight. <laughs> I, didn't, I did not want Roy to get hurt yep. because what I saw Tyson do in shadow boxing and just in his training, I was like, oh, Lord, please don't let him hurt Roy Jones, man. Because after seeing Roy Jones get knocked out a few times, him being put to sleep, I was like, please do not let Roy Jones or even Tyson get hurt. Yep. And so in looking at this fight, man, and it was really interesting, the actual fight, first of all, it took forever to get to the fight. And in between each fight, there was some performance and they obviously had to clean the uh, uh, the boxing ring in, w in where they wiped down all of the ropes and they had like a foliar machine to kind of go to uh, sanitize the uh, area, uh, obviously being very cautious of the COVID 
uh, 19 virus. But when they finally got to the fight, and I'm going to go, I'm gonna, trust me, I'm coming back to the Nate Robinson fiasco. Uh-oh. But in watching the fight, man, first of all, it was not a draw. No. Tyson, Tyson won that fight. Tyson looked good, man. I mean, physically, he was physically fit. He was ready to go. There was a couple of times where I was like, man, if Tyson would have connected on a couple of punches, it would have been night-night for Roy. Totally agree with that, Jason. Tyson got in a lot of great body shots, and I just remember seeing Roy at the end of each round going back to his corner and breathing heavily because those body blows was just, man, it's a whole lot. It's a whole lot of grabbing by Roy. But Roy, surprisingly, he kept pushing forward. He made it competitive. He grabbed a, a lot, and but I still don't see him actually win in the fight. I saw Tyson win in the fight. So I thought that was it was interesting. I could see them actually doing this again, especially with the money that is involved. I believe yeah. Tyson made about $10 million off of this, $3 million by Roy. I think a good portion of the proceeds, though, uh, will go to various initiatives. I think one being to help former boxers who are struggling I think that was for a good cause. And I think this is Tyson's actual league. We'll see what happens in the future. How about you, Danny? Yes, Jason. I agree, man. I thought it was very entertaining. Obviously, Snoop commentating (laughs) (laughs) had its own spin to it. And I must admit, even though that break was long, man, Snoop came back with some cuts. So (laughs) he at least was filling the time pretty well. And we, like you said, when we talked about this a couple months ago, my thought was if Roy can hang on past the second round, he had a chance he was going to stick around the whole fight. And like you said, I, every time Mike went to fire up a, a, a punch, I was like, please, Roy Jr., get out, Roy Jones Jr., please get out the way. Because <laughs> if you get hit by that, it is over. <laughs> but he was good about it. And he was, you could still see Roy had a little little movement left where mm-hmm. he could avoid some of those punches. Mm-hmm. I took a lot of body blows, but yeah, man, it was, I thought Tyson won for sure. And one of the funniest quotes I saw was from Roy Jones Jr. And he said, I wear draws. I don't do draws. <laughs> and, uh, that heavy rolling too. But I would, it'll be curious <laughs> to see now how Mike, like with Vander, their time rumor that Vander Holyfield may participate. And who else they can get involved because Mike Tyson is a draw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was so excited. We haven't seen him fight since 2005, right? <sighs> but every time he comes in that ring and you look at him, and it's just he's so intense. I'm Roy Jones Jr. I'm looking at this dog, looking at him like, oh man, what did I sign up for? Man, look, look, man, real quickly. Yeah, I started really getting hyped when Mike walked in because mm-hmm. he was in his all black. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, I was hoping, I was like, man, he's got to be in this all black, man. He's got to be. And when he walked out, I was like, man, here we go. Yeah, man. And like you said, they both, Tyson was in really good shape and Roy was actually in decent shape too. So it was mm-hmm. good to see that where it wasn't sloppy and, mm-hmm. and Triller put on a great performance overall, besides the length of time between the <laughs> which like you said, they had to sanitize, but dang, people had to go to bed. All in all, I think it, it ended up being really uh, a great event from a Tyson Roy Jones perspective. Now, I know you want to hit on Mr. Nate Robinson. Look here, man. Let me just say 
And one thing to keep in mind too, the Roy Jones Tyson fight, there were two minute rounds, eight rounds. The Nate Robinson and I forgot the other gentleman's name. Jake Paul. Uh, there you go. Their fight was what six rounds, but uh, two minutes. Let me just say this, man. I, when I heard that it was Nate Robinson's first fight, professional fight, I was like, oh, okay, well, chances are he's been training pretty well, getting ready for it. Uh, he's a good uh, athlete, pretty certain he can be trained for boxing. When the first round happened, I was like, I kept telling my dad, because we were watching at the same time, mm-hmm. I was like, Dad, why, why is Nate Robinson, why does he keep running out of him? And he would run at him, you know, throw some punches, get blown up a little bit, grab, and then they break. And then he starts running at him again, kind of go through the same sequence, the same process, if you will. One of the times, I forgot how many times he got knocked down, man. But one of the times when he got knocked down, he got knocked down on the back of his head. And I could tell then, I was like, man, this is over. Because his eyes were dazed. But this is the thing, man. And I don't think I've ever seen this happen in professional boxing. But Nate Robinson got up and with his glove, he started rubbing the back of his head. And I was like, man, I don't think I've ever seen that before, man. I was like, oh, he's in trouble. And so next thing you know, he gets knocked smooth out and gets put to sleep. And at that point in time, I was like, man, I just hope he's okay. I'm hoping he can get back up. This ain't funny anymore because, you know, obviously his health and and mental faculties were you know, more of a concern, but I will say this, man, Nate Robinson, you should never, ever get back in the ring again, but chances are he probably won't listen to me. He probably doesn't want to go out like that. He probably wants to at least fight one more time to have a better performance, a better outing. And hopefully that will wipe away what we saw this train wreck of a first match. Another interesting event that happened during Thanksgiving holiday was that of the Capital One's The Match Champions for Change series, which included the pairing, golf pairing, of Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley against Peyton Manning and Steph Curry. And they were raised money for HBCUs. In fact, they raised uh, approximately 54 close to $5.5 million for HBCUs. And one of the fascinating things about this, man, it was, and it was actually really cool to hear Phil really coach Charles Barkley into basically all his shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they had a microphone on him and it was absolutely outstanding, man, just to kind of hear. And Phil and, and Charles, they ended up winning. And I remember throughout Steph Curry, was basically mentioning how much he was actually noticing the coaching and listening to Phil Mickelson's coaching, things of that nature. Uh, and I'll just say this, man, I think what they have at, you know, during the Thanksgiving holiday, the match, golf pairings and everything, I think this is fantastic. I, I think that they have a winner here, a very good annual event that could give back to multiple organizations, have fun, possibly got some great ratings. Uh, but got some great coaching from Phil Mickelson. If they don't have Phil in these, it's going to be very hard to replace them, not unless there's a, another type of golfer who can coach like Phil. Great event to HBCUs. And I know that Florida A&M University, my alma mater, received some funds from this. And so we are very grateful. 
looking forward to many, many more of these challenges. One thing to that, Jason, uh, it also is promoting golf in sports journalism programs as well at the HBCUs. So it's just encouraging students at HBCUs to know that this is going to be available and they're trying to build the program. Kudos to the match and Champions for Change. And like you said, uh, this is a great event and what their movement is about. So mm-hmm. kudos to them. The other interesting thing that we witnessed during this Thanksgiving holiday weekend, and I always look forward to this, man. Just every Saturday after Thanksgiving is rivalry week. I have to say, man, this weekend absolutely sucked. It was way, there were way too many cancellations. The matchups just wasn't altogether there. And even this weekend, this upcoming weekend, there are more cancellations. And I think college football has possibly an upcoming issue. I think there may be some kind of controversy in where who's going to be, who's going to actually play in some conference championships because they haven't played enough games, possibly who's going to be in the college football playoffs again, because they haven't played enough games. This is just a full blown mess, man. And uh, I'm really hoping that obviously the student athletes don't get sick or don't get caught up with COVID-19, but it's going to be interesting to see if they do get caught with COVID-19, who, what student athlete got it COVID-19 because they could be a, a starting quarterback uh, that could really mess up obviously the matchups and everything. I agree with that, Jason. I think too, like you said, it's going to be interesting how they pick the top four coming up and how many games can you get in these next two weeks? Cause they, I think they pick on the 19th, the top four. So it's going to be the eye test of course, because you can't base it on a same number of games or competitive balance. It's so you look at one team is Ohio state. Are they going to be on the outside looking in just based on how many games they played and shoot even this weekend, they play, I think, Michigan State. Are they going to even get past Michigan State because a lot of their players may be down? So how does that impact them? And they haven't had a great showing either to date. So they haven't been dominating like some of the other teams. So they may be on the outside looking in. So I'm curious, not only with how this goes, but just the top four and who they end up going with. So there's still two weeks, and these teams are going to try to jam these games in. But how do they do it? And does Michigan pull the ultimate rug from underneath Ohio State and not play next week <laughs> because they may not be able to fill the team. That's true. So then that also impacts Ohio State as well. Mm-hmm. Agreed there. And now we have an interesting trading card scenario. What we got, Danny? We have a 1996 SP rookie card of Terrell Owens for 2007 Topps Chrome rookie card of Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron. So quick bios for T.O. Played 15 years. He was drafted in the third round by the San Francisco 49ers out of UT Chattanooga. He is a Hall of Famer, six-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro. He had 1,078 receptions, 15,934 yards receiving, and 153 touchdowns. Calvin Johnson played nine years. 
for the Detroit Lions, seventh, second pick overall in the 2007 draft. He is a Hall of Fame semifinalist this year, six-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, 731 receptions, 11,619 yards, 83 touchdowns. In one season, he had 122 receptions, 1,964 yards. So, Jason, we're on the back porch. We have these two cards. Who do you want in your portfolio? This is a tough one, man. We talking about the same T.O. that no matter where he went, there was some form of controversy lingering in the locker room. This is the same Terrell Owens, T.O., that when he played for the San Francisco 49ers against, and he played against the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> he went into the middle of the field, tried to go to the star, impose. This is the same Terrell Owens who always said, get your popcorn ready. This is the same Terrell Owens when he scored a touchdown. He brought up brought out the Sharpie yep. and signed the football. This is the same Terrell Owens when he scored a touchdown. He gathered the pom-poms, the trillion pom-poms, and started shaking and started celebrating. But this is the same Terrell Owens who had one Super Bowl appearance. And in that Super Bowl appearance, he just came off of a broken leg. And he just went completely off in that Super Bowl. In fact, if it wasn't for Terrell Owens, that game would not have been even close. This is the same Terrell Owens who, as of right now, is ranked number three, the number three wide receiver of all time in receiving yards only behind Jerry Rice, the GOAT, and Larry Fitzgerald. That says a lot, man. And so I thought about that, and I thought about Calvin Johnson. Man, what better nickname, man, Megatron. That is the soul. That alone gets you points. Got to look at what they did in college. And so I don't remember a whole lot of Terrell Owens in college. I'm going to be frank with you. I do remember a little bit about Calvin Johnson when he played for Georgia Tech. And he went to an organization, that of the Detroit Lions, where obviously we saw him quite often being a Packers fan. And he was always lethal, man. 6'5", could run. I mean, he was lethal. But I think what's falling short for him is really a lot of playoff experience, playoff games. He still was a game changer, though. That's that. I mean, that's the amazing thing. I mean. Anytime a receiver like Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron, can get you close to 2,000 receiving yards in a season like he did in 2012, come on, man. That's lethal, man. And this one was very tough. I do see Megatron getting into the Hall of Fame. I don't know if this is going to be this year, though. Terrell Owens should have gotten in the Hall of Fame in the first shot. But with all the issues that or the baggage that, you know, really Terrell Owens, you know, drug from team to team or organization to organization, you know, that obviously kind of hindered him from being a first battle hall of famer. Terrell Owens had a long career. The most yards he had in one season was 1,451 yards, 1,451 yards. I'm going to have to go Terrell Owens, man, because of the career longevity. I could tell a story about Terrell Owens with that card. The celebrations that I mentioned Let's think about this for a moment. Back then, the celebrations were shunned upon. The yes. No Fun League would find all that, right? And now look at the NFL today and where they actually encourage 
celebrations. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's a sack or a defense intercepts the ball, what happens? The whole defensive squad goes in front of the camera, <laughs> imposes. Maybe Terrell Owens was just ahead of his time. I know I have fun looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. But maybe he was ahead of his time. So I'm going to have to take Terrell Owens, man. But it, this was a tough one. I won't even lie to you because I, I love the name Megatron. I think with Calvin Johnson, it probably wasn't enough seasons. He did retire uh, pretty abruptly, which I think says a lot about the Detroit Lions organization because you had another great Barry Sanders retire abruptly. And I think that speaks volumes to the Detroit Lions uh, organization. So it would be interesting to see how he would have held up for another couple of years. But I think the longevity of a wide receiver speaks volumes too. And mm-hmm. you have to give him a nudge there. So I'm going with Terrell Owens. Compelling argument there, Jason. I agree. This one is tough. I'm looking at Terrell Owens and I'm thinking, all right, he's known for off the field. He's known for on the field because he he was a great player. Terrell Owens could play. Uh, he got the opportunity to play alongside of Jerry Rice, the tail end of his career in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And when Terrell Owens came there in the beginning of his career, so he got the opportunity to be mentored by the GOAT. And then I look at Calvin Johnson, low-key, didn't hear anything from Calvin. He just went out and played. And like you said, and I was going to bring up too about Barry Sanders, very quiet, just took care of his business, was admired in the Detroit area just due to him being the star. He didn't have much talent around him for the most part, if you look at his career. All that being said, the card, I'm looking at the card now. So we've talked about the player, but the card. I think I'm going to take Calvin Johnson's card in this scenario. The only thing that I'm hesitant about, though, as I say that, is he's not in the Hall of Fame. Terrell Owens is in the Hall of Fame. Let me let me ask you this. Calvin Johnson never played in the Super Bowl, correct? Calvin Johnson, I don't think he made it to the second round of the playoffs. There you go. But is that his fault? Is I blame it on Detroit, the organization's fault, where they didn't have enough talent around him, where they couldn't advance. Okay, I can, you yeah. know. I think it was the Detroit stigma that got Calvin. But the card itself, I want that card. All right. All right, fans, who you got? Thank you for joining us at Backports Talk Podcast. You can also join us on Twitter by tweeting us at back underscore podcast. For more information, you can go to our website, which is backporchtalkpodcast.com. You can also email us at backporchtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for joining us. And remember that there's enough hate in the world. So go ahead and spread a little love.